My name is Nate. I am one of the pastors. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip open to 2 Timothy, whether it's a paperback or on your device. Well, uh, I feel really hot, guys. Like, if we could, like, not just like... Not like that. Um, there we go. Um, so as we're uh, diving in this morning, I wanted to tell you guys a story, a story that takes place way back in the Old Testament. If you're familiar with your Bibles, you know the name Moses. Most of us probably have, have heard of him. He's a pretty significant character in the Old Testament. He's the leader of God's people. He is called and appointed to take the Israelites who are enslaved in Egypt and lead them out into freedom. And then as God's people are prone to do, they begin to wander. And their wandering, their rebellion creates this, this, um, this ripple effect that they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And as you can imagine, as God's people are wandering for a very long time, Moses finds himself leading a stubborn people, yet still, this is his time to lead God's people. He is the man for the job. He raises up teams of leaders, and they are still, God's giving them the law. God is providing for them. Even though it's not an easy season, God, Moses is God's man for this job. But in the book of Numbers, there's this real, and I'm sure all of you this week just spent really deep, rich, devotional lifetime in the book of Numbers. But there's this really fascinating story where Moses finds himself face to face with a pretty significant rebellion, with a, a, a man and a group that has basically begun to question Moses's authority. They don't like the leadership structure that God has appointed. And really, they've got a problem with God's man leading God's people in Moses. And so this guy named Korah decides, I can do this better. As a matter of fact, we don't need leadership at all. And he leads this false teaching and this, this entire group of some 250 men, and then you probably add in women and children, and it's quite a bit more, to reject Moses' authority. And what we see in Numbers chapter 16 is Moses uses this phrase as he is being confronted and assaulted by this false teaching and this rebellion where he says, basically, like if you've seen like a, a Western movie or Tombstone or anything like that, like, you know, when like the good guys square off against the bad guys and you know, it's about to get tense and violent. That's the scene in Numbers chapter 16 and Moses God's man for the job. This is his time to lead God's people. Gives this very profound statement that we're actually going to see in 2 Timothy this morning. Where he says, the Lord knows those who are his. And he challenges Korah and this entire group to basically show up the next day. And God is going to make himself known. Is he behind Moses? Is Moses the man for the job? Or is it Korah and this rebellion that basically rejects leadership and authority? And the next day, it, they show up, and literally, as they, they square off, the ground opens up. In one of the more epic points in the Old Testament, the ground opens up and swallows this rebellion 
proving once and for all, Moses was the man for the job. And this morning, what we're going to see, my hope is that you and I, that as we look and continue in 2 Timothy, I think Paul is writing to Timothy and it has been preserved for you and I so that we could see Timothy was the man for the job in Ephesus. He had a role to play and he needed to do the hard work of investing in himself that God's got his back. He has a role to play. And all along through all of history, we have seen God's people need leadership and they need to be, they need to be able to trust in their leadership. And, and so as we dive in this morning, I want, I want to just pray again that we would see, and maybe this morning, we would start to embrace the fact that the Lord has appointed for us this time to be in his word, to soak in his presence. And maybe we would start to to view our time with the Lord, our time in his word, our time together as, as an investment into ourselves so that we could really then invest in others. Because just like the church at Ephesus needed Timothy, there are people in your life that need you. And so if I can, maybe even just like, let's embrace our inner goonies this morning. This is our time. This is, and for, I'm looking like you guys don't get that. You need to watch a movie. Um, but I just, I want to pray. I want to pray that the Lord would stir in your heart a desire to invest and do the hard work so that you could really own this season where the Lord has you here on purpose for a purpose. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for... the opportunity to, to marvel this morning at, at Paul and how he encourages Timothy to really do the hard work of leading well and investing in himself and others. God, would that fan into flame for each one of us, whatever we came in here with this morning, a desire to do the hard work of investing in ourselves, of taking sin seriously, of, of fighting and fleeing from that which, Lord, is damaging to our souls. And Lord, would we leave here God, really embracing your appointed time and season for us as a church to make a difference for your kingdom and your glory. So Father, I praise you that even this morning we get to, to hear your word and this passage on the day where we get to go downtown and glorify and praise your name publicly. God, would we embrace that opportunity? Just wanna let it be still for a moment, just whatever the Lord is stirring in your mind and heart to ask that he would do right now, would you, would you just be honest with him? Ask that of him.
Father, may this time be worshipful in your word. God, challenge us. God, transform us. Start in our hearts. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, our, my hope is that we would see that when we take, um, as we dive in, that could we get that one on just to make sure that my technology stuff is working? If that's not possible, that's okay. Um, so um, my hope this morning is that we would see that when we're living for the kingdom, we are investing and doing the hard work of investing in ourselves. And I think as we walk through this passage this morning, in 2 Timothy 2, we're going to pick up in verse 14. Um, we're going to see that it, it takes hard work to invest in yourself. This is not an easy task that the Lord is calling us to. And so I'm actually going to skip all of these, and we're going to go... Right here, here we go. So the first thing we need to see if we're going to do the hard work of investing in ourselves, come on y'all, let me have control, I got this, um, is we need to be alert to the problems. And so we're just gonna walk through the passage and pull some things out as we go this morning. And so picking up in verse 14, and we've been doing this all throughout the series. Again, at the onset of studying this book, we kind of laid before all of us, like if you've been looking for a way to get into the word and really striving to invest, the best and first place to start is in your time in the Bible, that we need to be people of the book. We need to be reading. And the challenge that we've had kind of all throughout this series, all throughout this study, is to every single day be reading or listening to on an audio Bible, like listening to 2 Timothy. And we said, let's look for commands, encouragements, relationships, and mission. And so as we walk through this morning, you'll just see as I went through, I just kind of highlighted the different places where I'm seeing this in our passage. And so he starts out, Paul continues encouraging Timothy, saying, or charging Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. And so right off the bat, we kind of have to ask a question. He's saying, remind them of these things. Well, that's going back to where, where Pastor Greg ended last week in 2 Timothy 2. He's doing this, uh, this kind of expose on salvation, and he's calling Timothy to remember Jesus, the risen king, the offspring of David. And then he has this saying that right before the passage where we're picking up, that this saying is trustworthy, that if we have died with him, that him is Jesus. If we have died with Jesus, we will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The reminder here for Timothy is to always lay before the church that he is appointed to lead the gospel the need for salvation, that we never move on from salvation, from the gospel, that we should marvel at that continually. And so Paul is charging Timothy at the appointed man that this is his turn to encounter false teachers and stand for truth. He says the, one of the ways that you're going to do that is to remind them of the gospel, but he also says charge them charge them before God not to quarrel about words. He says, Those, that does no good, but rather it ruins 
the hearers. And I think as he's laying before Timothy this, this command to remind the church and charge the church not to get sidetracked, quarreling and fighting over words. In my mind, the way that I think of this is we can have forward momentum or sideways momentum. And what Paul is telling Timothy here is don't get dis- distracted with sideways momentum. Don't get tripped up on trivial things. Or another way to think about it is we should consider, Timothy needs to consider that our words have weight and we need to weigh what we say. It does something when the church starts to fight and nitpick and turn in against each other. And Timothy is to combat that and charge them, don't do that. It ruins, it destroys those who are listening, those who are following, those who want to grow, who want to to embrace and follow Jesus. Timothy, make sure that you are laying before the church the importance of weighing their words. And, and, And as he's alerting Timothy to the problem, I think a helpful question probably for Timothy and for sure for us today that I would just lay before you. And if this helps to write it down, like that's that write it down. But maybe when you feel yourself starting to disagree or divide over something and you're really trying to discern, is this worth quarreling or fighting about? Like ask yourself, man, do I really need to disagree about this right now? Like, I think you can ask that question in your marriage with your kids at work, for sure here amongst each other as community we're going to see as we walk through this passage is hard to say, do I really need to quarrel? Do I really need to disagree about this right now? As Paul is making Timothy alert to the problem and the weightiness of his word, he wants him to see that, man, you need to constantly be laying before people the importance of their words and that we live differently as the church. And we should be moving forward and fighting for the things that ultimately matter, which is where Paul is going to go with Timothy. He continues on in verse 15 charging him, encouraging Timothy to do your best. He says, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I want to go back to just that first phrase, do your best. I love that he encourages him with that, that as a pastor of a church, Timothy is to work hard and work well. It says, do your best. Ultimately, the command is to present yourself to who? To God. That Timothy needs to do the hard work of investing in himself, presenting himself to God as one approved. And when he does that hard work, he doesn't have to worry about shame. He doesn't need, because he's not working for the approval of man. He's not worried about what the people who are listening to him say, think, or believe. He knows that before God, he's done the hard work and he has that deep, intimate relationship that you don't need to feel shame. And I think for us this morning, what we can maybe just draw from that is that there is a hard work that Timothy has to do that starts with our inner life. 
that Timothy is it's his turn to lead God's people. Paul is passing the baton. He is leading the church in Ephesus. Paul does not want Timothy to lose sight of. Do the hard work to present yourself to God. Do that hard inner work. And that hard work is to believe and behave as the word leads and instructs. He says, Timothy, you need to present yourself to God as a worker who is unashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. What's implied in that is that if you can rightly handle the word, what else can you do? Wrongly handle the word, which is where Paul is actually going to go. But in order for us to invest in ourselves, in order for Timothy to embrace his season to lead God's people, he has to do the hard inner work life, cling to the truth, believe what the word says, behave as the word instructs, which then will, will illuminate the problem really that Timothy is facing, which Paul is going to enter into here in a very bold and in my opinion, courageous way. In verses 16 through 18, he says, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. Now that word, that command avoid in verse 16 is literally keep on avoiding irreverent babble, depending on the version of the Bible that maybe you're reading or looking at. It could say godless chatter. I actually just like the way that sounds better. Um, but he's really charging him. It's not like you can say, Timothy can't go, I avoided the godless chatter on Monday. I don't ever have to worry about it again. This is an ongoing command from Paul to watch out, to do the hard work of avoiding sideways chatter, sideways momentum. He says, this is going to lead people into more and more ungodliness. Timothy, as you lead the church, if you get bogged down in godless chatter, in irreverent babble, your people are going to follow you and they're going to be led into not good places, into ungodliness. And the consequences is grave, but it's hard work to avoid false teaching. We also see though that bad doctrine is a slippery slope that can cut off the lifeblood of the church and be fatal. Going back to the passage here, he says it leads people into more and more ungodliness. Uh, they've swerved, uh, where to go? And it spreads like gangrene. This is literally a, a problem where blood stops flowing to places and it, cre it brings, in some cases, death. That's what Paul is encouraging Timothy to fight against, to avoid, because this can be fatal to the church. He says, avoid these things. Avoid irreverent babble. Um, it leads people into ungodliness. It, it can be fatal for 
the church. There's guys here who are doing it. He says, he gives them the name of two guys, which I think is so bold that he calls them out. He says, they've swerved from the truth. They've gone off course and they've said that the resurrection has already happened. If we can just nerd out a little bit for just a second. So this is most likely influenced by the Greek culture that Timothy finds himself pastoring in. And the Greeks believed that the body was completely evil. So therefore, you could kind of do whatever you wanted with your body as long as your soul was tied to a God really of your own making and understanding. And so a tension in the church that clearly, just like Moses faced, rose up to the leadership level was that there were some who were saying, yeah, the empty tomb doesn't really matter. We don't need a physical resurrection of Jesus and we don't need to hope in a physical bodily resurrection for ourselves. As long as our spirit is okay, we're fine. Do whatever you want. And Paul is telling Timothy, no, that's fatal. That's like gangrene and these guys need to be called out and addressed. And so do the hard work, Timothy, of, a, of seeing the false teaching and addressing it. But he's going to go a step further and not just expose the lies, but remind Timothy of truth. In verse 19, he says, but God's firm foundation stands. Man, I bet that was like water to a weary soul for Timothy when he read that. He's battling these guys who are, are are popularizing this teaching and Timothy's trying to lead well, trying to embrace his time. And, and he's reading this letter from Paul and he reads, man, God's unshakable. No matter what you're going through, Timothy, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The seal is a way that you can know and trust in the message. And this is where we get our quote from numbers. The Lord knows those who are his. And Timothy, because he's been raised well by his grandma and his mom, would have immediately thought of the story of Moses. And man, how God confirmed the leadership of Moses. The Lord knows those who are his, Timothy, you can keep on going. This is your time to lead, invest well. And he continues on to say, let everyone who knows names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Paul is also giving here Timothy a way to know and identify false teaching, that those who claim Christ flee from sin. And so as Paul is alerting Timothy to the problems that he is facing, Timothy needs the reminders of truth to help him in the assault against error, help him wage war against the false teaching of the day. He needs to know, God, you are with me. I am the man to lead this church. I am the man to call out this false teaching. And I can identify those who are running from sin and those who are celebrating it. He needs truth to battle error. He also needed to be reminded, man, God, you are unshakable. Your firm foundation stands. God, you are sovereign. You know those who are yours. You're sovereign over salvation. You rule and reign. And God, I can look and see, are these people struggling, fleeing, departing from iniquity, or are they just celebrating in it? Timothy needs these alerts to the problem because investing in yourself requires hard work. 
And so he needs help. He needs Paul to speak truth. Um, We're also going to see, though, that Paul is going to give Timothy in the next few verses a, a principle to apply. And a principle really is nothing more than a fundamental truth that serves as the foundation for beliefs and behaviors. That's so good, I gotta say it again because I don't know if y'all are listening. It is a fundamental truth. It is the foundation that serves as a foundation for our beliefs and behaviors. What you believe and how you behave are built upon principles that are internalized. And Paul is going to give Timothy a few principles in 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21. He says, now... In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. You know what this book needed? Another metaphor. We have just been like swimming it. We've had athletes, we've had farmers, we've had soldiers. Now we get household utensils because Paul's just like, he's diving deep for anything to help the man of God lead well in this tough and trying season. And so this metaphor that he gives to Timothy, the house is the church. So as we read through it, it's, you know, in a great house, that's the church, there's, the church has both honorable vessels and dishonorable vessels. The honorable vessels within a church, a gathering of God's people, are those who are working hard to invest in themselves and invest in others. They're laboring. They're taking sin seriously. They're departing from iniquity, as Paul had just said. They're fighting to follow Jesus and grow in holiness. They are honorable Vessels, if that's you this morning, I just want to like excel still more in that. But within the house, this is important, within the church, there can also be, and we can go back to the story of Moses, there always has been among God's people dishonorable vessels. Those who are lazy, not taking sin seriously, not fighting to grow in holiness or be a a, a big uh, big fancy word is sanctified, becoming more and more like Jesus. In this room right now, we have both here. That's what Paul is saying. That's what this metaphor is saying. And so maybe this, this metaphor needs to serve kind of as a mirror to your own walk with Jesus this morning. Man, are you, when you look in the mirror, an honorable vessel or are you dishonorable? Just kind of doing whatever you want, going with the flow, believing what comes easy, choosing your own path. But there's hope, because if we go back, he says, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. That for the believer who has grown lazy, who has grown content, who is not fighting sin, not growing in holiness. There's principles that we can be aware of that will begin to transform how we live, what we believe, how we behave. And so that's where he's going to go. He's going to give us three principles in, in this passage, in this section, that 
really inform, these are the fundamental truths that can become the foundation by which you believe and behave. Principle number one, you're different. He says, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. When you embrace your relationship with Jesus, you understand, I am now different. Old Nate doesn't exist anymore. I am fundamentally a new creation. I am set apart. That principle transforms how I live, what I believe about myself. That is a huge part of my gospel identity that Jesus bought and paid for me. I now live different than the world. This is a principle that Paul gives to Timothy to help him as he's leading. Also, he says, useful, useful to the master of the house. A principle for a believer who wants to strive to be an honorable vessel is to understand not only that you're different, but you have a purpose for the kingdom. You aren't just saved to sit on the sideline. God wants you in the game. You are useful to the master. The way that you view the world, the things that you believe in, the ways that the places you, wherever you live, work, shop, eat, play, he has you there on purpose for a purpose. You are useful. That principle begins to transform how you live. When you understand I'm set apart, I'm different, I'm useful. And the third principle that he gives him is that he is to be, these vessels of honor are to be ready for every good work. A fundamental truth that will transform how you live is to believe you need to be ready at any moment to, man, just share what God is doing in your story. And so when we believe this, it transforms then how we walk and pray expectantly into the gym. If you really believed, I'm gonna go into the gym and I'm gonna, I'm gonna start running on the treadmill and man, the Lord will open up an opportunity with the guy or the girl next to me and I'm gonna have a chance to share my faith because I need to be ready. That changes then how you go into the gym. This principle changes everything. It opens up opportunities for you to invest in others. And Timothy needs to be reminded of these principles as he is standing against false teaching, as he is fighting for truth. He needs to be alert to the problems. He needs to be aware of the principles. And lastly, and super duper quickly, um, he needs to be active in some practices. And so these last handful of verses that we're going to walk through is going to be Paul investing in Timothy in once you see the problem and you understand the principles, you need to put some things in practice. And so Timothy, as you're leading the church in Ephesus, as you're striving to fight against false teaching, this is what you want people practicing within your church. And so in verse 22, he says, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. I want us to notice it's not just enough to run away from immaturity. And that, that phrase flee, again, like the word avoid, is keep on fleeing 
Don't stop running away from youthful passions. And I see a few teenagers in here. They all come to the 11 o'clock because their parents love them and let them sleep in. Um, but for those of you who are like 15, 16, 17, those youthful pa- what Paul really, I think, is talking about here is he is like, do you guys remember when you were 17 and burdened with knowing everything? Like that was exhausting. And so high schoolers, like I love you and it's so tiring to be the expert on all things. That is your youthful passion. I remember being 17 and people I looked up to going, when I'm a pastor one day, I'm gonna do it different. And these guys just don't know what they're doing and I'm gonna right all the wrongs in the kingdom of God. That was ignorance. And then life starts to happen and sin makes things messy. And all of a sudden at almost 40, you go, oh, I don't know anything. This is really hard. That's actually wisdom. And Paul here is instructing Timothy to lead his church to run away from thinking you figured it all out. You've got all the answers. And so teenagers, just be open-minded. Like you're gonna, you will look back I promise you and go, I didn't know anything at 17. I was so silly. I promise you, be the expert today. It's cool. We love you. You'll look back and go, oh my goodness. I was chasing my youthful passions. Like Paul is encouraging the church, encouraging Timothy to lead his church away from immaturity, but it's not just enough to run from something. You need to choose what you're running towards. And so he tells them, run towards Jesus in some very practical things that he tells them, pursue righteousness. And that's growing in the right beliefs that then transform our behavior. Run from immaturity and towards righteousness. Right believing, it leads to right behavior. Also, pursue faith. Pursuing faith looks like growing in your confidence in God's plans and purposes, despite what you're facing. And just looking around here this morning, like I know enough stories in the room, like there are hard things happening in here right now. And maybe you need faith that, man, God, your plans and purposes will be accomplished. You will see me through. He also says, practice pursuing love a growing affection for God and for his people. This is a practice. We need to run after righteousness, run after faith, run after love, and then finally run after peace. This this requires us to be growing in a genuine community with believers where sometimes we need to say hard things because we're for each other. Other times we need to encourage one another on or, or just speak life and gratitude and, and blessing over people, but it requires us to be in community. He says, flee from these things, pursue these other things. He says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, he's telling Timothy, don't let spirituality be a solo sport. We need each other. Timothy needs. He's supposed to be finding faithful men, just like we saw on that video. He's supposed to find faithful men and entrust to them what Paul has given to him. We need each other. Very quickly. 
He goes on to say, have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Timothy is to practice persevering in biblical truth and humble unity. And the way that the Lord's servant, that's the phrase that Paul uses, is to do this is by, being, uh, by practicing being peaceful, by not being quarrelsome, being kind to everyone, practicing faithfulness, being able to teach, faithful to rightly handle the word of God, being patient, patiently enduring those who are opposing him, and then gentle, correcting the opponents with gentleness. And so while I specifically think Paul is trying to be wind in Timothy's sails, if you look at this and you know the fruit of the spirit, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, he's really just spurring on that Timothy would invest in himself to see the fruit of the spirit played out in the lives of his church. And so Timothy needs to make a practice of being peaceful, of being kind, of being faithful, being patient and gentle. But I think the question has to be, man, is this all worth it? Why should he work so hard to persevere in a community that if we go all the way back to Moses, man, it just doesn't work. Why should we fight for genuine community here to overcome things we disagree on, to not quarrel and fight or let division creep in or false teaching creep? Is it really worth it? Shouldn't we just take our Bibles and say, it's just me and Jesus, and that's enough. Well, that's kind of where Paul lands this section. He says, the reason why we do this is because God's plans are bigger than ours, and we don't know the full story. I love how this passage wraps up. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Speaking of these false teachers who have permeated the church and are making life for Timothy miserable, he says, Timothy, you don't know what God may do. God may grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. It says, Timothy, there is hope. There is hope that God can and will save people. And so I want us, and Timothy needs to be a leader who believes in a God who can and does transform people's lives by his spirit, by his word, and by the church for his glory and the transformation of the world. And so some questions maybe for you to think about or to ask someone to ask you that I want us to just maybe pull out of this last little section as we begin to prepare our hearts for communion. Looking at that last section. He says, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Man, if you've let being a vessel of honor or dishonor be a mirror to your life this morning and you're going, I am... I'm not a vessel of honor. A question I would ask you to take to the Lord is, have you repented of your sin and come to a knowledge of the truth that you were an enemy of God and Jesus allowed his body to be broken, his blood to be shed to purchase your redemption? It cost God greatly. 
And the result of that should be, I need to turn from sin and start pursuing righteousness. And what Paul is saying to Timothy is, these guys who are making your life miserable, they're not too far from grace. God may grant them repentance. So whatever you're struggling with this morning, you're not too far from saying, Jesus, I need to surrender and come back to you. That God may grant you repentance. Secondly, a question I would ask is like, are you investing time in truth? Are you making the word of, are you rightly handling the word of God? Is God leading you into truth? Are you making it a priority? And I just kind of want to remind us and then maybe up the bar for some of us. Um, If you are investing in truth, again, at the beginning of our study of this book, we said every day read or listen to 2 Timothy. That will help us recognize false teaching if it creeps in to the life of our church. That will help us be a people fanning into flame and making the most of our time as a church here in Loveland. It requires us to invest in truth. And so if you haven't yet, I would just ask you, start reading 2 Timothy every day. You have the time. It takes 15, 20 minutes if you read slow. It doesn't take that long. You can find 20 minutes. And if you can't find 20 minutes, I would, I would beg you, download a good app and listen to it on a drive. You, you're in the car at some point or when you're at the gym or go for a run, like listen to that instead. Invest in truth. But if you're like, no, I have been reading. I have been investing in the word. I'm reading it every day. Like I wanna again encourage, excel still more. But maybe the next step for you would be to start to write down thoughts, observations, things that God is showing you as you're reading. And then finally, if you're like, man, I journal all the time and I'm reading all the time, I just want to ask you to invest some time in prayer about who should you be coming alongside and starting to then invest in. If you are crushing it, in reading your Bible and praying and journaling, like you are ready to start turning around. You're a Timothy ready to find some faithful men or women. And so the last question is, how are you free right now to live for the kingdom. That is what Paul's hope is, that they would come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil, and after being captured by him, after being captured by him to do his will. His hope for these false teachers is freedom. And so as we prepare and contemplate uh, uh, just our souls, as we come to the table this morning, I just want to ask you, are there things that you need to lay down that are hindering your ability to walk in freedom? things that you haven't been taking seriously. And so as the band comes back up, I just want to leave these questions up here. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it. I want to leave this passage up here, maybe. Could we go to the, there we go. And I just want you to dwell on a God who grants us the ability to repent and come to him. A God who wants to be known through his word, and who wants to bring freedom. And let that be the primer for your soul as you come 
to the table, but let us be a church that like Timothy and like Moses, we understand and the Lord knows those who are his and this is our time. So let's do the hard work of investing in ourselves to invest in others. Let me pray. Jesus, you are so good. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the freedom that comes in the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Father, for those in this room who up until today have been living as objects of wrath, Father, I pray that today would be their day of salvation, where Jesus, they would see you clearly and you would draw them in, that you are the God who grants repentance and brings freedom. And so would you do that here in this place? And then, Lord, I pray that you would make for others, of, others of us who maybe have been living as dishonorable vessels, shake us awake. Give us the faith to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. God, as we come to the table this morning, would you be glorified and will we be transformed in our lives so that we could then turn and live that out as we invest in one another. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you're ready, you can make your way to the tables on either side up here, um, remembering his broken body, his shed blood that sets us free. But take some time, maybe repent of the things you need to. Um, just spend some time with Jesus and then you can come to the table. We'll stand and we'll sing.